Good morning as well. We are going, thank you, we are going to continue this morning with our Calibrate series, uh, Sitting at the Feet of Jesus. And really, you've heard over the past month or so some excellent messages about, about silence and solitude and submission and stewardship. And today, we get to turn our focus upon sitting at the feet of Jesus in the presence of Scripture. And I can't think of a better person to preach to us about Scripture and the role of listening to God through Scripture than Pastor Vernon. Anybody excited to hear from Pastor Vernon today? Absolutely. I'll say a few more words about him in a second, but uh, Pastor Matt sends his greetings. He and Arlene are at a, a couple of weddings this weekend out of town and wishes he could be here, especially because of this message we're about to hear. Now, our preacher this morning is no stranger to this platform and certainly needs no introduction, but some of you who are newer to Northland over the past year or so may need to be brought to speed. Pastor Vernon and his wife Connie began serving Northland back in 1986, and for years as volunteers, served in our student ministry, worship ministry, missions, but in 1990, a few years ago, 1990, he came on staff as a pastor and has served so faithfully over these years and expanded ministry into compassion work, training, equipping all of us for the work of ministry. And so for him to be preaching about scripture today is just such a treat. No Vernon is to love Vernon, to be loved well by him. I know I'm not the only one who feels that way in this room. So listen, as, as we turn our attention toward wor the word and respond a little later in our service in worship, let me open with a, a time of prayer and, and ask you to prepare yourself to hear what God has given Vernon to, to share with us. Father, we do acknowledge you and, and we come here to worship you and to hear from you and to be together in your presence. You are, are an all-encompassing God. And Lord, when we take the time to seek you in your word, uh, you do so many things to transform us. So Lord, as we hear Pastor Vernon talk about story and scripture, we pray that you would open our eyes and our minds and, and equip us to be the followers of Jesus that you want us to be. So we yield to you in this time, look forward to what you have in store for our worship and the word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Well, you're too kind. You're too kind. You can, you can stand up the whole service if you'd like. Um, or you can go ahead and take a seat. Let me go ahead and, and get the really sad part of this out of the way. I realized Kentucky lost last night to Florida. Um, <laughs> you know, that I don't, I don't know if you're a football fan or if that's why you came this morning. I'm going to give you a full SEC rundown here before we do anything else. But, you know, that game when it was 22 to 21, Man, I wish I could have just turned off the TV because I knew Kentucky was going down to score a field goal. And it was all over, right, at that point. But that was not the story. And it's an important thing for us to take in mind, keep in mind as we think about story, as we think about the situation that God has put us in. You came here for a reason today. And as Marsh said earlier, you know, we've gathered from all over the place and in all, all kinds of places and that reason is really to sit at the feet of Jesus. And 
as we have been doing that, as you have been doing that over these last few weeks, and you've used this one cornerstone piece of scripture uh, to kind of put us in the place where we can understand what this really means. And I'm going to start just by reading this text from Luke uh, chapter 10. And uh, you know this passage by now. You've heard it every week for the last four weeks or so. But uh, there's a unique part of it that we're going to try to cover today. And so um, read along with me on your device, on the screen, just so you know I'm not making this up. It's, here's what the Bible says. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this text in the message. It says that uh, Peterson uses these words. He says, she had a sister, Mary, who sat before the master, hanging on every word he said. Hanging on every word he said. Do you have anybody in your life that hangs on every word you say? I do. It used to be Connie, but uh, then now she just knows what I'm going to say before I say it. But uh, I have someone who hangs on every word that I say, and that's Alexa. Alexa hangs on every word. I've become quite dependent. I don't know if you're familiar with this amazing piece of technology that really can hang on every word you say. I've gotten somewhat dependent on Alexa. Uh, Alexa, I know it's going to sound a little creepy at first, but I'm hoping there's a really powerful spiritual truth in it. I'm hoping there is. But um, Alexa, at this point, is, you know, wakes me up. I tell Alexa the night before I need to get up at like whatever time, and Alexa wakes me up. Alexa, uh, Alexa reminds me to get my laundry picked up. Alexa reminds me that of when I need to leave in order to get somewhere that I need to be on time. Alexa reminds me of, of almost most of the important things that I don't even want to think about in my life. I used to have a similar relationship, but we broke up, and that was Siri um, <laughs> and Google before Siri. But... Uh, these parts of technology that do that, they sort of, that's maybe the only thing that I can imagine that really does hang on every word that I say. But I love the fact that Luke tells us here that, and Peterson so well says, that Mary was hanging on every word that Jesus said. That's the hope that I would have for you and me this morning, that, that we would be able to hear Scripture and hang on its every word as if our lives depended on it, because I believe they do. 
in a number of ways. I think our lives depend on how we pay attention to Scripture. One of my favorite poets who just died recently was Mary Oliver, and Mary Oliver wrote these words. She said, this is the first, the wildest, and the wisest thing I know, that the soul exists and is, in, and is built entirely out of attentiveness, attentiveness. What you pay attention to is what will build your soul or not. What you pay attention to is what will build your life or not. And the things that often we should pay attention to, we don't and vice versa. But, but Mary, she had built her whole perspective on sitting at the feet of Jesus and paying attention to what he was saying. And over the weeks, you've covered this in different ways, this passage. The first week, you, Matt talked to you about stillness and how important that is. You, the following week, he talked about submission. And then John talked to us about stewardship and where our heart is and our treasure is and those kinds of things. And then last week, Matt talked about silence. I'm really glad that that was not my topic, silence. I'm not very good at silence. I'm not very good at sitting in silence. I'm not very good at allowing silence to go on. I'll usually fill it if, if it's there. I mean, the only thing I can think of good with silence is, are some lyrics that start with, Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again. Because that's what I do in silence. I, I'll fill it every time. And Matt kind of forecasted last week that the right way to fill up silence is with Scripture itself. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that this morning. And let me just tell you that as a disclaimer, first of all, that I'm not here to do an apologetic to tell you all the reasons that you should believe the Bible is true. I'm, I could, there are lot, there's lots of evidence for that, wonderful resources that you can find on the Internet or probably in the person next to you as to how you can be sure that the Bible's true if you're not sure about that. I believe the Bible's true. I believe the Bible is effective. I believe that it is, it is the way that we can know the truth about who God is and what he's done. And, and I really have. I've paid attention to it over the years. I've not always done it perfectly, but I have paid attention to it over the years because I've seen the effectiveness of it. And I believe that it's something that will change your life if you pay attention to what Scripture really is saying. There's an amazing verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 that says, All Scripture is god breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is a significant verse on a number of levels. First of all, God breathed. I love the fact that, you know, some translations say is inspira it's inspiration, but this is a word that probably Paul made up. He coined this word because it's a combination in the Greek 
of God and breath, that God literally breathed these words, just like he spoke the world into existence, the Bible says. In the same way, when God breathes out his word to us and we allow that word to come into us, it will change us in the, in the process. Well, think for a moment, picture it in your mind of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, probably close enough that she could literally feel his breath as he shared with her and shared with that room the truth of life, the essence of life, in the things that he was saying. She wanted to be close enough, in my mind's eye anyway, to feel that breath, that something in her was called forth and up and toward him in that way, because Scripture will do that. Scripture literally is God breathing life and truth into us if we're able to take it in. Usually, uh, if somebody is, is that close to me and breathing, it's not necessarily a good thing. Or if I'm that close to you and, and breathing to where you can feel my breath. That's why we have Altoids in the world. But in this case, you need to hear it and know it and sense it and feel it and smell it as something that will change your life because I think that's what Scripture does for us. And it's always been a struggle for me. When I was growing up, and I grew up in the church like some of you did, and, and it was always a struggle to kind of know, so how do I even think about the Bible? You know, this, this amazing collection of, of books, actually, within a book, you know, that was written by, you know, six, over 40 authors over a span of 1,500 years. You know, 66 books that the early church settled on being the truth, being the true word of God. How do you take something that massive and large and covering that kind of span of time and know how to make any sense of it at all? Well, I think you have to see it as a story. It's a grand story. There's a meta-narrative. There's one overarching story in Scripture that actually doesn't begin in Genesis. It begins at the resurrection. The story of Scripture you need to see as beginning at the resurrection of Jesus because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, if he did not physically die and rise from the dead, then everything that happens before that in Scripture and anything that happens after that in Scripture might just be an interesting collection of things that were made up for us to read like we would any other literature. But the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is what makes this story different than any other story that we'll ever read. Scripture is a story. It is uh, the, the overarching big story that matters more than anything else we'll ever encounter in our life, that story. What do you do with a story? I read a lot of stories, and, and you and I live out stories. We see stories take place in front of us all the time. I think there are three ways that we look at stories and things that go on. The first thing we can do is we can just simply observe a story. And we may not be in the story. We just 
observe the story. You know, all of us who watched football last night or yesterday, we were just observing a story. Now, I'm pretty sure nobody in this room or any of those rooms out there were actually in any of those games doing anything about anything. We were just observers of those stories. And the thing that can happen with being an observer is it can be good for a while. In fact, I had a situation just about just three weeks ago or so. Um, We, Connie and I, along with our friend Tim Tracy, Tim and Eleanor Tracy, live in Seattle, and we actually work together again. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, But uh, Eleanor was back here in Florida, and so Tim and Connie and I decided we would go right around and look at some of the beauty around the city of Seattle. We live right downtown Seattle now, and so um, we wanted to get out of, t- out of the city for the day, and we'd heard about this beautiful uh, winery that, um, not that I would ever drink it or anything, but uh, we'd heard about this winery that was right outside Seattle. And so we went driving up, and, and the person that told us about it said, you know, it's always quiet. There's hardly ever anybody there. It's kind of an unknown gem, you know, in the area. And so we went driving, looking for this, this place, and, and um, we, we, as we, we found it. And as we got there, though, we, we thought at first we must be in the wrong place because it was, it was very busy, we had been told that it's just lovely gardens and you can just walk and, and, and sit and, and it was quiet and lovely and no one was ever there. But there were a lot of people there. In fact, they had a person parking cars. And, and we pull in and, and this person directs us to where we park. We park and we start walking up toward where the buildings are. And there was, we looked and there were just people, a lot of people under this canopy that was near one of the main buildings uh, on this property. And so we go walking up through there, and we think, man, this is unusual that I thought there would not be this many people here. And the closer we got, the more we realized that all those people seemed to know each other, and because they seemed familiar with each other. And so I went back and asked the attendant, I thought, well, we've stumbled upon a private event here, and probably just need to leave. I go back and ask the parking attendant, you know, are we okay being here, because it looks like these people know each other, and da-da-da, and... She said, no, go ahead. She said, it's actually, it's a funeral. It's a, it's a celebration of life going on. But there's three tables right over there. You can go sit down at those tables. And so we stood there for a minute. We had driven all the way that way. So we decided just to go ahead and go sit down at those tables. And as we got there, we saw a little sign that said, celebration of life for Jean Merritt you know, welcome. And so we go and sit down, and we uh, have sat there a few minutes, and we look around, and and it's a lovely scene. I mean, it was lovely. These people were all probably on Jean's dime, enjoying wine and, and food, and they were talking, and you could hear them telling stories, and they were remembering Jean. And we sat there for a minute and, and uh, just observing, and I thought, this is a little bit weird. I don't even know Jean, you know, and I don't know any of these people, and here we are just kind of observing. And there was a few minutes of sitting there, but it was pretty wonderful just to observe because it reminded me of another scene, you know, a scene where Jesus gathered with people he, that he loved and, and gave them wine and bread and said, take this and remember me. 
And I thought, how lovely that they're remembering Gene in this way. But there is something that happens to us when we just observe something, and that's all we do. Because what will happen because of our nature and because of kind of how we've been wired in this world, that if we just observe something long enough but don't have any way to participate in it, we'll begin to criticize it, right? I mean, it's, again, like, I don't mean to keep bringing up football, but, like, did you criticize any of the plays you saw last night? I did, you know, because I was just observing. If you observe long enough, and so sure enough, back at Gene's memorial, you know, pretty soon, now, I didn't have any of these thoughts, but I noticed that Tim and Connie began to kind of be critical of some of the people there. They, like, we're saying, like, Boy, that person's sure enjoying a lot of Gene's wine today, you know, things like, I didn't, I didn't think anything like that, but, but they did, and, and they were starting to get critical of the people that were there until, and we then began to criticize ourselves of like, should we even be here? We don't even belong here. We should leave. The criticism that comes out of our life is because, again, we just observe something, but we don't participate in it. And so the only way that I believe we can really, really see a story and know the value of it is to really embrace it, is to move into the story and see how the story fits you and what part of it you need to learn from. And, and so that's what Scripture does for us. It invites us in. You know, we can be critical of the story. We can, uh, we can do that all day long, we can, or we can just observe it, or we can really embrace it. Because if we fail to fully embrace it, We'll never really understand why the story was given to us or we were given to the story in the first place. There's an amazing poem that I came across a couple of weeks ago. Do you know what an understory is? It's actually a term in ecology that if you go into a forest and the, uh, below the canopy of a forest and above the root system of a forest, there is a layer of vegetation that's called understory. It literally is. And a guy named Mark Nepo, though, wrote a poem called Understory. And you can picture the forest, if you will, but he put it in a whole different perspective, a whole different mindset. I'm going to, if you'll indulge me, I just want to read for you this poem, Understory, by Mark Nepo. I've been watching stars rely on the darkness they resist, and fish struggle with and against the current, and hawks glide faster when their wings don't move. And I keep retelling what happens till it comes out the way I want. We try so hard to be the main character when it's our point of view that keeps us from the truth. The only way to listen to what can never be said is to quiet our need to steer the plot. When jarred by life, we might unravel the story we tell ourselves 
and discover the story we are in, the one that keeps telling us. When we are jarred by life, we might unravel the story we tell ourselves and discover the story we're in. Have you ever been jarred by life? I have. I think you have. And sometimes we need to create a story that goes with that, a story that we keep telling because we think we need to be the focus of that story, the center of the plot, what the story is really all about. And what the Bible comes along to tell us is, no, it's different than that, that we're not actually the heroes of the story. There really is one hero in the story. And our opportunity is to come and sit at the feet of that story and have his truth breathed into us. And so that is what the Bible is all about. A good friend of mine, Claire Sarah, described it with these words many years ago right here at Northland. Claire wrote, the Bible is a love story. It began in time, but exists outside of all boundaries of time and space and eternity. The Bible is the story of your life. It's why you search through your life to find the perfect counterpart. It's why you feel alone, disconnected, misunderstood. It's why at times you feel a sudden joy or an indescribable longing. You are destined for eternal fulfillment. This true story is why you dream. Isn't that beautiful? The Bible is a love story. And so with that in mind, I'd love to give you the invitation to just think for a moment of how your understory compares to this love story that God has put before us, has given to us. You know, most of you have a movie for your life, a way that you think it should turn out, a way that you think it could turn out, a way that you're trying to guide it toward day by day. I've got the same thing. I had a movie for my life. You know, the movie for my life was that I would just one day fall over on this stage and somebody would come up and commence to preach in my funeral, probably Kevin. That's not the movie, though, that God has given to me. God has called me towards something different. And I can either look at the understory, the plot that I keep trying to steer, or I can look at the love story that the Bible really is here to teach me, the story that he is leading me toward. And so just as an as a example of that, so um, I, I am, um, Connie and I are pretty much in Seattle now, and we are working for a company called, you'll never guess, it's called Storyville. I mean, it's almost like it's a perfect uh, situation in that regard. I love story, and I love the fact that we get to work for Storyville. Storyville is a business, but it's committed to ending human trafficking in our lifetime. 
And what that forum allows me to do is to work with some 50 organizations and locally in the Northwest as well as across the country, including International Justice Mission, which Northland has partnered with for many years. It allows me to work in the, to, to try to bring structure and cohesion among some of those groups under a business umbrella, but with a mission in mind. And it's, it's a radical dream that we have to see human trafficking ended in our lifetime. Human trafficking is probably, humans, it's, it's sad to say, it's, it's more than sad. Humans are, most one, are one of the most traded commodities in the world, even yet today. And something, someone should do something about that, and it should be us. We are, this church has worked hard for many years to, to be a part of eliminating that. But it's a systemic evil in the world, and it requires not only us as individuals, but it requires organization and leadership. It requires business. It requires the church. And so I feel very fortunate that uh, God would give me this opportunity at this uh, stage in our life. We love this church. We have been a part of this church, as Kevin said, since 1986. And the only reason Kevin's not telling you more stories about me is I know so many stories about him. And so, um, but part of this transition for us, again, not one that we would have chosen but one that God chose for us. And it, it puts me in partnership. My good friend Tim Tracy and I work together. We, um, he also is working for this same company. It also gives me the opportunity. Uh, there's several projects that, that uh, Joel Hunter is working with us on as well, bringing it back into a local focus on homelessness here in Central Florida and in the Northwest. And so we're able to continue to work together in some of these things. And we have this church to thank for that. We have you to thank for that. Because you created an environment here. You did created an environment here where those things matter, just as Marsh talked about the Bahamas. And I'm so thankful for the way this church continues to look for the ways that we can have a global impact that from a community of believers who come together and God breathes truth into us, that we can then make a difference in the world that needs to know that truth everywhere, every day. So that's sort of this, my story, but what I'm really here to do is to tell you again about Scripture. And I've thought about this again all week. I remember the first time that I preached at Northland. Uh, and this was before I came on staff here. I, as Kevin mentioned, I came on staff in 1990. At that time, Joel and I were the only full-time uh, staff that Northland had. But before, like two years before I became a pastor here, I had an opportunity to preach here. And I was scared to death. This was over in the rink. And Joel called me. Joel was out of town, and uh, he called me on the Saturday morning on a landline. Remember those? Yeah. Because, uh, anyway, he called me on Saturday morning 
to tell me, you know, to encourage me. And, I, and you, if you know Joel Hunter well enough, when Joel encourages you, he doesn't go deep into your feelings or, uh, you know, I know you're probably anxious. or He doesn't, that's, he's more of a coach than, than anything else when he encourages. And he just, I answer the phone, he says, Rainwater, I know you can do this. I know you can do it. You know, if you don't know anything else to do, just go up there and read the Bible. And that's pretty much what I did in my first sermon at Northland. And, you know, I've kind of tried to do that ever since, of just the main thing that I can bring to you is Scripture itself. And even though I haven't given you a lot in this sermon, you're going to be exposed to a lot of Scripture as we respond to this sermon. Because it is the Word of God breathed into you that will change your life if you pay attention to it. So let me give you just a couple of practical thoughts. And because if you're wondering, if you're new to faith or you're exploring the faith, let me tell you a couple of practical ways that you can understand how the Bible works in your life. Because, of again, it's such a massive uh, work collection of of incredible big thoughts. But here are a few simple things, very simple things that you can do. First of all, you need to know that the only way that we can really understand Scripture is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that's where we get discernment on what Scripture is about. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And so if, you're, if you have not made Jesus the Lord of your life and you're exploring the faith, that's awesome. Welcome. We are delighted that you're here because there's no requirement to believe in God or anything else to come and be here. We want you here. But the amazing thing that you can know is that if you do have that spirit working in you, that it will open up your eyes. This is not a magic formula. It's nothing we do. It's something God does. He works through his spirit to make his word come to life in our lives. And so we discern what the Bible is saying. We, we dis, uh, another way of saying that is that we discover what the Bible is saying through the Holy Spirit. But then secondly, the best way to understand the Bible is in context. The Bible always explains itself. And as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, I gain understanding from your precepts. In other words, I gain understanding about what I'm reading right now because of what I have read in other places in your word. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. That's even the path of understanding the Bible. The Bible always explains itself. You just have to keep reading. You have to look for the way that God wants to do that and show you his truth. But then the only real way to apply scripture to our lives is in community. The Bible says this, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. 
The best way to apply scripture is to do it in community. What that helps us do when we read scripture in community is it, it keeps the interpretation that each reader would have accountable to the rest of the body. It keeps us accountable to the ancient church and the local church. It keeps us accountable of the perspective of various genders and ages and cultures and ethnicities. It keeps us accountable to one another. The way we understand, the way we apply scripture is in community. 